Amen. Um, let's just start in a little bit of prayer again. I always need that. I need help. Lord Jesus, we just pray that as we go into this time where I get to preach, uh, preach about the blood of Jesus because you know, openly in a government that will allow me to because others gave their blood. Um, we just want to say thank you for that. And we just honor that, your commitment, and their commitment as well, Lord. And we just ask that you just bless the rest of our time as we focus in on the gospel and what it really means. And so we ask you to bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we begin our passage today in James, um, I thought I'd present to the church Uh, what we believe about saving faith, because that is what the the passage is today. And so we believe that saving faith is faith enough to save your soul from hell. Faith enough to become a child of God and gain entry into God's heavenly home. So the, the gospel message is a message or a description of what saving faith is. It's how we believe God has chosen to save us, and there is only one clear, personal, and perfect way to be saved. There is no other way. And so I want to talk about that today, that there's no other way. And some of you here today may hear this description of saving faith, and you might say, I thought I was a Christian. Until now. I thought I was, but unless you have, unless you've done this, at this description of saving faith, you are not. Now, uh, some of us think we already know this message of the gospel. So how many of you say, I think I know the gospel? I think I got this. I've been to church for a long time, right? And that's a good thing. And so you're, as you look at this, you're like, oh, I get to hear the message that I've heard probably a hundred times all over again. But my question is this, if I were to grab one of these roving mics back here and walk out into the audience and say, share the message of saving faith now, how many of you want the mic? (laughs) Some of you all in. I know you evangelists. Somebody write their names down. Okay. But yeah, they are, uh, that's a rare thing. It's very, it's, it's somebody, some, a lot of us feel like there's a lot of pressure, right? Or if I told you right now to turn to the person next to you or near you that you don't know and share with them the gospel right now, would you be able to do it? Or if I asked you to pull out a cell phone and call a member of your family or a friend and asked, and t- had say, just share with them your, the hope you have in Jesus Christ. Would you be able to do it? A couple days ago, I was out to lunch with a guy. who uh, he's, His job is to uh, coach uh, youth pastors, but he also interviews uh, youth pastors who are going to become church planters and other guys who come out of college or seminary, and they want to plant churches. And he says, uh, he asks one of the main questions is, what is the gospel? And many pastors have a tough time articulating the gospel. Can you believe that? And that I mean, it's, it, it's a lot harder than you think, it seems, right? And so I have this, this really easy way I've learned of, of sharing the gospel. It's just four points that we move through. 
But to let you know how serious Scripture is about your ability to share the gospel, it says this. It says at the end of Mark, uh, Jesus has died on the cross, has been resurrected, uh, and he gives this commission. He says, afterward, Jesus himself sent them out from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. Right? And so he sends them out. So the God, it, does he do the... Do the disciples know the gospel? Do others know the gospel, right? There's a lot that know and can say the gospel. Or maybe we can go here to Paul when he writes to Timothy. He says this, Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. So Jesus says it. Paul says it. Let's see what Peter says. Peter in uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says, And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, Always be ready to explain it. Be ready for the pastor to hand you the mic. Right? Be ready. And I didn't know that I I needed to work on this until recently when Emily Phillips came up to me at Pink and said, you're sharing the gospel. You know? I was like, okay, I am. And fortunately, I've been God really just challenging me to really work and know how to present the gospel. And so today I want to do two things. First, if you don't know the gospel, I want to tell you the gospel. And second, if you already know the gospel, I want to train you to tell other people the gospel. Make sense? And that's just the first half of our message today. But it really is a pretty simple formula. And so i just like you to memorize it right now. You don't need sermon notes. I'm going to ask you to memorize four words to help you learn the gospel. They're right here. Lord, sinner, Savior, faith. Everybody say it with me. Lord, sinner, Savior, faith. Again, Lord, sinner, Savior, faith. Lord, sinner, Savior, faith. If we do that 30 more times, you'd have it. But first one, Lord, We believe that there is one God, one Creator, one Master of everything, right? He is the only God that there is. He is the owner of all things. And He is represented best in two ways. One is love. He is total love. And the other one is perfect justice, right? That's a great way to present the Gospel. So I have one Lord who is over everything and all things, maker of all things, judge of all things, who is love and justice together. Right? And then the second one here, sinner. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. We are all sinners. We have intentionally and willfully rebelled against God. And I shared this with the kids last week, uh, a couple weeks ago with reference to how much of a sinner we are. We have started sinning, and we just can't stop. It's not that the sin is something we did in the past. It's not just that the sin that we did today is that you and I, how many of you have tried to stop sinning and have failed? It's all hands up. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah. And so there it is, you know, all of us have failed. We are dirty all the way down deep. And if God is truly just and he's got a creature who just has to keep on sinning and keep on sinning, what does a just God need to do? Wipe that out. Totally fair 
and completely appropriate because he could start over, right, if he wants, with a clean slate. That is fair. We can't stop. I can't. I know you guys can. I will see you, right? I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest. <laughs> so third, God's love and his justice come together in the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his, in his, that requirement of him, that perfect justice, that he must smear out and put his wrath on sin, he, he does that in the pers- to the person of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Right? And he also, because of what Christ has done, gives us a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come and dwell within us. Right? And make us new so that we can please God. So that we're no longer a permanent mess. That one day we can be made right. For, like, so that our nature, we sin no more. Now while we still struggle with that here on earth, one day because of what Christ has done and the activity of the Holy Spirit, uh, we will be made perfect with God. And so He doesn't have to wipe us out because of what Christ has done. And so we have one Lord who saves us sinners by the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and that is received by faith. Now today, faith is the main word. What is saving faith? It means by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, and I want you to remember, a sinner places their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And the problem in today's Scripture is they forgot to write, they forgot to add, and Lord. A lot of people want to leave that out. And a lot of us today, maybe in this room, have said, I like Jesus the Savior, but I'm not really cool with Jesus my Lord. So I'm praying today that you pray this. That you know that your works can't save you. You are a sinner all the way down deep. And that you need a Savior to save you. That you can't work your way out of the mess you have made. It's everywhere. It's dirty all the way down to the core. Right? We need a Savior. And so I pray that you would just say these, this prayer here. It says, God, You are Lord. I am a sinner. I repent. I need a Lord and Savior. It says, goes like this. By faith, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior who died on the cross to forgive me of my sin. And by faith, I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and invite His Holy Spirit to come in and lead me. That second part is really important. Right? It, that's, the, that's the center of today's passage. And there's a group of people going around that saying that saving faith doesn't require any action. And they're wrong. Right? They act as if the Holy Spirit came into them and then curled up and died. Producing no results whatsoever. You get how wrong that is? Right? That the Holy Spirit came in and mm, nothing. They accepted Jesus as Savior, but they had no intention of making Him who He really is, Lord. 
They like the idea of being saved, but they still like the idea of being in control more. You see, God did not save us to do nothing. He didn't save you to sit there. Right? And some of you are like, yeah, he, he would save me even if I couldn't do anything. God is here to save, but he didn't save you for nothing. Right? He did not make us his dwelling place so that the Holy Spirit could come and take a nap inside us until we die. Right? He came into us to save us so that we could be alive in Him. He saves us and enters into us so that we might become and do all that Christ wants us to do. In case you think, this, is that really in the Bible? Here it is, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You get it here? Does it say it right here? He saved you in order for you to do good things. Right? And so He has a plan for you. But these people are still attempting a lordless faith in this Scripture. They want to accept Jesus with their, li- with their lips, but not with their lives. They want to go to heaven, but they don't want to submit to the Lord of heaven. You cannot accept Jesus without His Lordship. You've got to accept that. So the, one of the commentators I was reading explains it like this. J. Vernon McGee says this, saving, saving faith, therefore, is alive. Professing only faith is dead. We have a lot of so-called professing Christians today who are members of churches They are nothing in the world but zombies. They are walking around as if they are alive, but they are dead. Whoa. J. Vernon McGee leaves no room for any confusion there, right? You may think you're alive, but without lordship, you be dead. You and I have neighbors like this, don't we? Does anybody know someone? You're like, I'm suspicious. I have neighbors like this. They think they are good, fine, and dandy. But I see nothing. Right? They have professing faith. But I don't know if that faith is actually alive. I don't know if it actually does anything. I don't know if they have saving faith. Professing Jesus is just lip service. And it's not enough. We We must invite Him as Savior and Lord. So, there it is. Lord, sinner, Savior, by faith. Believing all of them, right? So if you can memorize those four words and those four concepts and understand that we've got to be busy about His Lordship after we receive Christ, you can preach the Gospel. So, obedience to the Holy Spirit does not save us. It just shows us that we're saved. Make sense? So, In case you think, well, maybe did did Jesus really say this? Well, here's Jesus saying the same thing in Matthew 7.22. Yeah, I put it in red because Jesus is saying it, right? Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So in case you think Justin's not right, Jesus himself says it right there. 
You don't have to believe me. Believe that. Right? You can look it up. Even Jesus says that saving faith requires obedience to the leading of God's Holy Spirit. So, now, after Justin's been talking for 12 minutes, right, it's time to start the passage for today. James starts his argument. He starts it like this in James 2.14. He says, he describes dead faith. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Does anybody like rhetorical questions? This is a rhetorical question. You're not willing to do anything? That's not faith. That can't save anybody. So he's saying it right here. If you're not willing to show it by your actions, that faith can't save anyone. That's why it's rhetorical. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Thanks for the lip service. I'm starving. I'm freezing. Right? Lip service doesn't do nothing. It's heart service that does something, right? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. If it doesn't do that, it is dead and useless. Right? Now some may argue... Some people have faith and others have good deeds. Now you see the argument here arising. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. James is not messing around. He lays down the smack right here. Faith without good deeds is dead. Won't save you. You've got to have the deeds to follow it up. It's no good at all. It's just a mental assent, right? If you, don't act, if, if you don't accept Jesus as by faith as Savior and Lord, you don't actually have faith in Jesus. You have faith in some figment of your imagination because that Savior does not exist. God is not who you want Him to be. He is exactly who He is. And you have to accept Him for who He is. And the big, one of the big ones is Lord. Boss, over my thoughts, over my feelings, over my motives, over my actions. He is in charge of my finances and everything that I am. Right? So if, if the Holy Spirit then comes in, the Holy Spirit then begins to act in you and work in you and work out in you, right? And this Christ-like transformation of being like Christ and doing like Christ starts. And for those of you who are wondering uh, what the word sanctification means, it's that process of the Holy Spirit of being more like Jesus and doing more like Jesus. It's both and. Make sense? There's be more like Jesus and do more like Jesus. Got it? So, in case that you thought you could accept Jesus on your own terms and reject His title of Lord... James has even more strong words for you. He says, not only is your faith dead, but your faith is equal to that of demons. Whoa, James. Anybody think James is getting pretty serious right here? You say you have faith. 
for you believe that there is one God, good for you. All right, you get the sarcasm here. Good job, you got, you got, you, you're almost on base here, right? You're not home yet, but, right? Even the demons believe this. It's true. Do demons believe that there is one Lord? Do they believe that Jesus came to save? But do they accept Him by faith as Lord and Savior? No. Right? So they're willing to make the mental assent and even the confession of their mouth. They're willing to say it. But it, they, they, they do this. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Yikes. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is dead and useless? That's harsh, isn't it? James does not mess around. If anybody, I, I tell the students, James is a punch in the face book. You think you're doing the right thing, a right hook from James. It's just boom. He does not pull punches. He will get you, right? He will lay it down, and he just laid it down, didn't he? He just compared lordless faith to that of demons. That's not messing around. And I think he's right. So if you have faith that doesn't affect your day-to-day thoughts and your feelings and your words and your motives, maybe you should start trembling like demons. Whoa, Justin, are you getting serious right now? I totally am. I'm talking about myself in the third person, right? (laughs) They remain under judgment and so do you. So I want to get some more scriptural backing in case you think it's just one place in the Bible. Also in Philippians it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Right? So if the Holy Spirit's inside... You shouldn't only follow Christ when the pastor says so. Or when the worship leader says so. He's sitting right there. Or, or when some other, when your small group leader says so. That you work it out all on your own saying, this has got to be real to me so much that His Lordship is present in my life. That's saving faith. Right? Is that it's real to you. Don't just obey when, when the leaders are present, but look for a way. A lot of times I'll ask people, are you serving in church? And they'll say, no, no one's asked me yet. I'm like, why are you waiting to be asked? The, the fear and trembling and working out, the, it's not that your faith, you know, you can earn your salvation, but prove it. This is your chance to live out the daily lordship of Jesus. Get busy, people. Find a place to serve. The rule is you can't just sit there. And take it in and give mental assent. There's got to be a daily lordship to this. So then, uh, Paul, or then, uh, then James goes on here and he says, Okay, I've described dead faith and I've scri- described demonic faith, which are really closely tied. Now I'm going to explain dynamic faith or saving faith. And James does a great job here. Living and active. That's what it means. Dynamic faith. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. 
And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. That means active, dynamic faith. He was willing to do something. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. It isn't just lip service. It's got to go somewhere. It's got to do something. Now, the next example here is awesome. You know, we got father of faith and, you know, one who's mentioned all throughout Scripture. And then James also mentions Rahab, a prostitute. Can God save anybody? Do you think James has selected very carefully the next name? Right? A person who's dirty all the way down deep, who made it their profession, right? And, and is desperate all the way down. They need, you know, can, if anybody needs a Savior and can't earn it back, she's one of those that would makes it very clear, right? So she is a different person. It says Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. You get what? This is where before the battle of Jericho, and they come and they spy on the city of Jericho to see what's up, and she hides them inside. Did she take a risk? Is her faith being expressed? Yes. Did that action save her? No. It proved that she was saved. Make sense? So Rahab is a great example of this. She says, "Just as the body is dead," or he, James says, "Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works." So here we have Abraham, a man of, whose act of faith is one of great sacrifice willing to listen and obey the voice of God, and this made him a friend of God. Not to one whom Jesus would say, depart from me, I never knew you. He said, come on in, friend, welcome home. Instead of, thanks for the lip service, but we don't know each other. Right? And then there's Rahab, one of great risk. She was a person who believed and obeyed despite a sinful past. She believed that Jesus could save She took a risk that was dangerous. She proved her faith was alive, and she gets the honor of being specifically named in the ancestry of David and Jesus. She's impotent, right? She's a big deal because of her faith. Faith and actions work together. They cannot be separated. If you have saving faith, you are being transformed by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. And these works are initiated and motivated by the Spirit of God. And if you don't have saving faith, you just think Jesus is here to save you, but not to change you or to instruct you in anything. It's your life. That is not saving faith. So, if you're that person who thinks that Jesus is here to come in, you know, Jesus is here to save me and then do nothing, I think you're actually hurting the Christian faith more than you are helping. Uh, A speaker and author named Brennan Manning says this, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is so-called Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, 
walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This has got to be done. This has got to be worked out. Faith has got to do something. So, Paul says we have to be saved by grace through faith and that this faith is belief enough to cause obedience to the Holy Spirit. Right? So that's Paul. And, and the original title of today's message was Chicken or Egg, comparing Paul's statement and James' statement. Right? But I say we compare everybody's. Right? And see if Scripture is consistent. Right? So Paul, Paul says, by grace through faith, faith enough to cause obedience to the Holy Spirit. James says, by grace through faith, faith that is enough to cause obedience to the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the same. Peter says the same. It's the same all the way through Scripture. Do you see any differences? No. Scripture is very clear. There are no differences. The debate between Paul and James' way of being saved or Jesus' way of being saved, there is no difference. They all describe the same thing. By grace, meaning nothing that you've done can save you, through faith, believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, faith enough to then go and live it out, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Right? So I hope that that's, that corrects any misunderstandings you might have about how you can be saved. They're all one and the same. And Scripture is constant and consistent about it. So in order, I want to close today with maybe an action step for some of you. Um, next week is a baptism. And you may start saying... Okay, you know, Justin, do, baptism does not save. It's an expression that you are saved. Does that make sense? Okay. And so it is a proclamation of what God has done. It is clearly pointed out in Scripture that something, you know, that it should be done immediately after believing. Uh, if you were in my Sunday school last week, students, if you were in my Sunday school, raise your hand. Okay, did we, how long did they, how many days did they have to wait before they were baptized? Show me the number. Zero, 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 zero. Get it? No waiting necessary. Right? No need to wait. If you believe, one of the best ways to take your first step is to say, I'm going to go proclaim to the world by an action that I believe. I'm going to go profess that I believe. Right? And so, uh, some of us are waiting for a feeling from the Holy Spirit that today's the day to get baptized, right? Or that next Sunday when we have a big group baptism, we get all the people here for you, and we have the water ready, and we're ready to go, you're going to say, like, um, okay, well, I didn't get the feeling. And I just want to challenge you, today's message is more than a feeling. Right? Um, I can't tell you honestly what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. But I can tell you what He's not saying. I am allowed to say that He does not ignore, He's not telling you to ignore what the Bible says. Right? And so do I think you should be baptized at the next available opportunity? Yes. 
We see that all throughout Scripture, right? Peter preaches his first message in front of a bunch of people, and 3,000 of them come to Christ that day, and they baptized how many of them? People who were in Sunday school. Give me the number. All 3,000. <laughs> They're like 3,000. <laughs> all 3,000 that day. No waiting. The jailer comes to Christ. How long does he wait to be baptized? First available opportunity. The eunuch as that Philip meets on the way to Ethiopia. How long does he wait to be baptized? He's like, there is some water. Why can't I be baptized? Why can't you? Dunk. He's in. He displays. What is baptism? It's a display that you have died to yourself and you accept the lordship of Jesus Christ. Right? That you put the old sin nature away and you intend to live for Jesus from that day forward. So I pray that, you know, if you have not been baptized yet, I would say, why wait? Let's do this. And here's the scripture I would say. John asked Jesus, why should I baptize you, Jesus? Right? And Jesus, you know, I tell the students, uh, John used to baptize for repentance. Say, I give up my old life, I'm going to live for God. Right? And uh, Jesus comes up and he says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John says, uh, uh, you should be baptizing me, actually, because you're the one who baptizes with the Spirit and fire. And Jesus says, in response, it should be, and this is Matthew 3.15, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. Scripture says be baptized. So be baptized. Scripture says, live out your faith. Prove that you are saved by your good works. Right? Prove that the Spirit of God is alive and well and working through you by receiving Christ as Lord and Savior by faith and then living that out. The Holy Spirit comes on in and starts equipping you and empowering you to do it. And so we are all fortunate and we are all blessed in that. And so that is what we are going to close with. So today, I want to make an offer at the end here, though. I talked about the gospel, and I talked about a really serious concept called saving faith. And if you're not sure, or if you want to receive Christ today, I'm just going to wait right here to talk to you. Okay? And everybody else, you think everybody else is going to be watching? I know this church. They're too busy, right? They all get talking to somebody else. So don't worry about that, right? Uh, come on up, and we can talk. And we can, we're gonna, I'm going to have the tech people put this prayer of salvation back on the, the screen. And we're just going to leave that up for the close of the service, okay? So let's pray together. And if you would like to come down and talk a little bit more about whether or not you're saved, uh, I'd love to pray with you, okay? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just pray that each person here would just take this message home in their hearts and say, God, I want to show every day that the Spirit of God is alive and well in me and that I'm working out my salvation, that I was saved to do good works and I will do them. And I was saved because I have the, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and work through me. And so I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to work through me. God, I pray that each person here, if they don't know Christ, 
as Savior and Lord would come to know you as such today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.